Hello, everybody. We are doing a Q&A focusing on BFA art school portfolios. I'm going to answer all your questions about what it will take to apply in 2020. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need to hear Art Prof critiques, tutorials, and professional development. We have all kinds of resources for you on artprof.org. Go to the menu bar and you will find our art school section. And if you want to find something on artprof.org, look for content that's not on our YouTube. Use the search bar and it works really well. Brand new, this is our ultimate guide to art school portfolios. There is a page for BFA. There's a page for MFA, and these pages consolidate all of our content into one place. Really helpful because our content is everywhere. And what I've done is I've laid the page out so that it is sequential. We start with the initial research you need to do, how to prepare, get the right information, all the way up to when you get into art school and then a little bit about after art school. Tell me in the chat, don't be shy, if you are applying to art school, you don't have to write anything other than just yes, because I know not everybody necessarily wants to talk in the chat, but that's very helpful for me so I know how to Get a sense for who the audience is tonight. Ask me your questions. This is a Q&A focusing on whatever you want to pick my brain about. Oh, good. Fantastic. We have Evelyn and Lily, not just as applying for transfer next year. Yep. And you know something? The whole thing about art school portfolios, BFA or MFA, you got to get the information early. A lot of the times people don't have the right information and it actually, number one, becomes a waste of time because you end up doing things that don't matter or you think architecture is one thing, but actually it turns out it's something else. So that's actually one of the most common problems that I see with art school portfolios is that people just don't have the right information. I talked to somebody today who was trying to get a master's and really didn't understand the difference between all the various degrees because you can get an MIT, an MFA, an MA, PhD, <laughs> so many degrees. So it's very important to get the right information and that's why I'm here. By the way, today we are focusing on BFA portfolios. We will definitely do one Q&A at some point for people applying to MFAs. But you can see this is what is on the BFA guide that I put together. There's content about photographing your artwork, National Portfolio Day, including horror stories, one of which is mine. <laughs> and we have accepted portfolios, opportunities in the summer, student competitions, it's all here. You don't have to go anywhere else. This is one-stop shopping for all of you to find that content. Great example from Claire, who says, yeah, I thought I would apply to fine arts, but now I'm sure I'd rather apply to illustration. 
when I switched into the illustration department, my sophomore year, I started in the painting department, was miserable, and decided to go into illustration, honestly, just because my friend did. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to follow you. And I really had no idea what illustration even was until I got in the department and was doing stuff. And it ended up being a great fit for me. But even today, I'll ask people what they think illustration is. And it oftentimes is either too narrow-minded or way off. Nancy says, withdrew from art therapy, MA, but I had to put together a portfolio when I applied for my master's as a self-taught artist. That was pretty challenging. I would tell you, no matter what situation you're in, get help. You cannot put together an application by yourself. I mean, you can, I'm not saying it's not possible, but ideally getting the right information, getting feedback on your portfolio, not waiting too long to get feedback because a lot of students will say to me, oh, I'm not ready for feedback. I got to finish the whole portfolio first. And I will oftentimes say to them, hey, it's too late. You have to get feedback early. Get feedback on works in progress. Get feedback on your thumbnail sketches. That is where you can catch all kinds of fundamental problems that can be really hard to fix on a 30 hour long painting. Trust me, I've done it myself. It's really painful to work so long on a painting and be told by somebody, actually you have fundamental issues with your composition. That's not easy to fix. So if there's any mistake I would say to avoid, well, there's two. Don't start late and do not wait to get feedback. I have somebody in our MFA art school portfolios group, which is a new group. This is our art school portfolios group. It is a discord group for BFA and MFA applicants. The reason I put this together is that I have noticed in the past, a lot of the support we offered for applicants was one-off opportunities. Say they get a portfolio critique, they ask in the discord, we have a channel called BFA MFA. You can come in there and you can ask questions, but the thing is it's not ongoing. It's little bits of advice here or there, which are helpful, but not helpful when you're actually actively working with an instructor. And so that's what we're trying to provide here with the art school portfolios group. This is something that is seasonal. We're only gonna have it available now through March and we'll have another cycle beyond that. But it's in our Discord and you can post as many questions as you want. Lauren and I are in the MFA group and one of the teaching artists, either Mia or Deepti will be in the BFA group and we have weekly voice sessions and we really get to know you. That is so different than when you just ask a random question or sometimes people ask me for help with their portfolio and they'll say, well, should I put this piece in? I'll say, I really can't comment because I haven't seen the rest of the portfolio. So that's what I'm seeing is a lot of the support people get for MFA and BFA portfolios. It's just these fragments. And I actually think that makes it harder for applicants to figure out what to do. Now, what's fun about the art school portfolios group, we have the text channels. You can jump in, share stuff. We offer very long, <laughs> nerdy essay-like critiques because I'm a dork and I like doing that. 
but we also have a weekly voice session with me. And that's when you can jump on voice. It's so much more efficient to talk to somebody on voice sometimes than to write the text stuff. And what's really nice about this group, it's $30 to $40 a month, which honestly is the biggest bang for your buck you're going to get from any of our other services because you can say purchase a portfolio critique or an artist call with me but this is also more fun because you're in there with other students and you get to communicate each other it just feels a lot less lonely remember put your questions about art school portfolios bfa this time ask me anything pick my brain this is your chance to get that information. Thank you so much, Brazen. I will not be going to college again, but just want to tell Clara and everyone I freaking love how much support I get here. Well, so that's the thing is a lot of BFA and MFA applicants feel number one, very isolated. And number two, they're very stressed. I mean, I would be too, like if I was trying to put together a portfolio and I had nobody to help me and I'm on YouTube watching those really annoying my accepted art school portfolio videos, I would be freaking out. I mean, to a certain degree, I'm glad I grew up without YouTube because we just made portfolios. Like we had no idea what anybody else was making, what got accepted. And I also be like, yes, while that's not as informed, I, I almost think that would be better for students because all the stuff online, it's so overwhelming. Tell me in the chat if you are applying and whether you are feeling overwhelmed by all that content, because those my accepted art school portfolios, you'd think that they'd be very educational and informative, but actually most students I talk to tell me that they watch those videos and they feel so discouraged and really frustrated and feeling like they can't ever measure up. And that's a terrible feeling when you are applying for school. And so that's what I'm hoping the art school portfolios group is a solution that's not absolutely expensive, where you do get that support, you do have people rooting for you, people who are following your progress for several months, not just in a one-off comment in the Discord. I recommend this because I'm already in there with a couple of people and it's just been fantastic. They're getting all kinds of information that would have taken them months to find somewhere else. Anna says, one question my students often ask about is whether to have a broad range of work or to show they have a distinct style and conceptual direction. Thoughts? If you're applying for BFA, you want diversity. Diversity in subject matter, in materials, the various techniques. MFA is the opposite. MFA, they want cohesive, mature artistic vision. They don't want that at the BFA level. Fazili says, do you need to take a math class for art? My teacher told me that. It depends on the school. You have to see if the school has any specific requirement for that. Where I went for my undergrad was RISD and we had liberal arts classes we had to take. And it could be math if you wanted it to be. I ended up taking these really cool art history classes about learning manuscripts check with the school to see if there's any specific math requirement. I don't think that's common though. I don't know of a lot of art schools that have that as a requirement. 
Claire says, definitely. A lot of students in the video had private studio classes or went to art high schools. Oh, you would not believe the contrast in range of experiences. For example, my spouse went to RISD, but he did it all by himself. I mean, he didn't take classes. He didn't go to pre-college. He did not go to arts high school. He didn't have any of those resources. And he had an art teacher at school, but that was it. I mean, you would not believe what some kids have access to. I mean, I had a friend who went to a posh private high school in Brooklyn that had like a whole art department. There were individual classes on different kinds of painting. I was like, do you know what I would give to have just painting class? When I was in high school, it was art one, two, three, four. That was it. We didn't have any option to specialize. And I feel very lucky that I went to pre-college because I did have that experience. But that's what's really hard for a lot of students is they just don't have the resources. So that's why I want to make a space that's not $50,000 a year, that is $30 to $40 where people can come and get support. And it's fun to do it in a group. I think sometimes one-on-one -on -one can be very helpful, but sometimes it's intimidating. So I know some people, sometimes they want to talk to me, but it's well, scary. I don't bite. I really don't. <laughs> Even though I have a piranha emoji, I probably should get rid of that for that reason. But sometimes when you learn with a group of students, it's just a lot less stressful. A lot of people will just lurk for a little while, which is fine. I mean, you don't have to join the voice sessions. So this is one thing that you get if you sign up for our art school portfolios group is you will get a one page PDF with my top tips when you sign up. And these are my tips off my, the top of my head right now. I just wrote this PDF probably two weeks ago. It's very new, but that is going to get the ball rolling because just so many students don't do that. And that's when you really get in trouble. Evelyn says, everyone who makes those videos has really amazing, often realistic art that you end up comparing yourself to and feeling bad about. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm sort of proud of the problem. I feel sort of bad because we have tons of portfolio critiques. And of course you see the student and their portfolio. And so we're sort of also doing that. I hope it's a little different because I'm an instructor and I'm teaching. It's different than when it's the student showing their accepted portfolio. But the thing is, you guys, realistic art is not everything. Realistic art can be super boring or it can look really cliche. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's realistic. In fact, most of the work I like is not realistic. It's actually rare for me to like a very photorealistic image. And so that's the problem is that a lot of these portfolio videos, they skew people towards thinking that, oh, wow, I watched 10 accepted portfolio videos. They all had photorealistic work in there. I guess that's what I should do, but that's not true. There's so many other ways to stand out in your portfolio. Nacho is asking, are people that look at portfolios harder on transfer students? When applying for transfer, should I submit work I did in classes I took already or more independent work. It's not that they're harder on them because, I mean, it depends on what year you transfer. Most people usually 
will do first year at another college, decide to transfer. And so they will transfer into say second year at an art school. The one difference, and it depends on the school again, so much of this is specific to the school, which is again, why you guys need to do your research, read everything that you can possibly get your hands on. The biggest thing is that some schools to transfer into that school, you have to pick a major before you apply. Now, if I were to apply to RISD as a first year, you don't have to declare a major, you just apply. And let's say you want to go into graphic design, you can have a couple graphic design pieces in your portfolio, but you don't want a graphic design portfolio because that's too limited. So it's not that they're harder on transfer students, but that you probably do have to say what department you want to go into because oftentimes the transfers, it's a matter of numbers. Like the, the department actually have space for someone to transfer into the department. And in terms of whether you should submit work nacho that you did in classes or more independent work, it really depends on the type of classes that you took. Because one thing that I warn people about is trying to make your portfolio out of all class assignments. Because as a teacher, as an admissions officer, you can spot that a mile away that, oh, this high school art teacher asked them to do this. Like it looks very projecty, if that makes sense. But you do need to have some independent pieces, not just because it's better for your portfolio, but because as artists, we have to learn how to think independently. We can't always rely on being given a prompt to understand what we want to do. In fact, some people who go to art school really have a tough time afterwards because they become so accustomed to having the structure of a prompt that they don't know how to self-initiate a project. So that's a great experience no matter what you end up doing. Parasu says, do you have any advice for illustration applications specifically? I'm hoping to go to Columbia College, Chicago. Okay, for illustration, the first thing I would do, find out what illustration is. In fact, let, let's, let's do a little test right now, okay? Everybody type into the chat what you think illustration is. Do you think it's advertising? Do you think it is children's books? What do you think it is? Because people are always shocked when I tell them just how gigantic the illustration field is. It is so diverse. So the first thing, Karasu, you have to research the illustration field. You have to figure out what it is. And really the best way for you to do that, Karasu, watch our illustration curriculum because the illustration curriculum is an overview of all of illustration. We tell you, these are the skills, these are the industries, these are the various formats for illustration. So just go to artprof.org and you just wanna click on the search bar because when you click on the search bar, you just type in illustration curriculum and it will certainly pop up. Okay, Karasu says they recommend general education rather than art. Listen to those schools because actually I have a lot of students who don't want to go to art school, but they love art and they want to make it part of their college study. And so let's say they apply to Boston College, 
but they want a portfolio to be part of their larger application. And they often ask me what to put in there. And my first thing is to say, listen, call the art department and ask them, what do you want people applying to the school to have in their portfolio? Because the biggest mistake everybody is not getting that information because while I can, of course, give you general words of advice, there are some schools that have a super specific application. The, the most specific one I've seen is Sheridan College. They have such structured prompts. I think one year I was working with a student and it was like, put a character in an office and you had to do these prompts. I know RISD still has prompts, but their prompts have changed dramatically. When I was in art school, the RISD prompt was to draw a bike and pencil. They've gotten rid of that. And now they have these new prompts that are super vague. I, I honestly don't think they're very well written, but you have to find that out because if you don't have the information, you're going to waste your time doing things that they don't really care about. Great. I love hearing this. Adrian says, illustration is art attached to something else. Magazine story product. Evelyn says, communicating a story idea with images. Yeah, that's not all of illustration. <laughs> I mean, sure, that's part of it. But let me tell you all, and this is good for you, Karasu. Comic books, children's books, editorial illustration, adult books, book covers, um, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of other ones, but that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that is a part of illustration that people are just not aware of. Oh, Claire says they recently got rid of the prompts. Last I checked the website, it said there was no RISD assignment. Oh, I did not know that. Well, thank you for the update. I mean, we'll stay tuned. Maybe it's just that they have not announced them yet. Anna says, I was a transfer from a community college to get my BA in visual arts. They didn't ask me to apply to a major, but I did have to show I could bypass the freshman year fundamentals classes. And again, this depends on the classes. I mean, there are some schools that will say, nope, you can't transfer. And there are other places that will let you bypass certain things. So in general, for the transfer student, it is still largely the same portfolio unless the school says you have to pick your major first so we can see if there's space in the department. Who's applying? We have new people who joined. Just type me into the chat. It's okay to lurk. It totally is. I, I know that it can be intimidating to type in the chat, but I just love it when I hear from new people in the chat. Vivi says, I am applying to liberal arts schools with supplemental portfolios for a BFA, BA in fine art. These are much smaller, around five to seven pieces. How should I go about choosing which pieces to pick? Ideally, it would be good to get feedback from a teacher. I don't know if you have an art teacher at school that you trust, but that is really hard to do by yourself. If I were applying to school, I would never make that decision by myself because I don't trust myself. And tell me in the chat, who here feels like they can't see straight when they're looking at their own work? I feel like that all the time. Like I look at my painting, I'm working on it and I'm like, it all looks the same to me because I've been staring at it for hours. And oftentimes for that reason, 
we are almost blind to what is our best work. And that happened a lot when I taught at RISD because I'd oftentimes ask students to do, let's say six thumbnail sketches and they'd bring them in and almost all the time they would pick the worst thumbnail as the one they wanted to do. And I'm convinced it's for that reason because we're in our heads. You're stuck in your head as an artist. And when you have a fresh pair of eyes, people who are not you, who can look at it, that's ideal. We also have our Discord. This part of our Discord is public. We have critique channels in there. You can post an image, add information about it. You'll get help from the staff and from the community. And again, we have the public BFA and MFA channel where people can come in and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help, you guys. Just don't. I know it's scary. I know it's intimidating. How many people here, tell me in the chat, are afraid to ask for help? are afraid to ask for feedback because either it's intimidating or you're worried about coming across badly or you're, maybe you're embarrassed because you feel like your work's not very good and you don't want anyone else to see it. Okay, anybody who says no, <laughs> that they've never had that experience is totally lying because that's every single BFA applicant has that experience. So Vivi, I don't know what your options are, but if anything, get into our discord and you know you can't post a portfolio in there because we don't do portfolio critiques but at the very least you could have us critique one piece at a time and that can sometimes serve as a gauge because sometimes people will post a piece and they, they think to themselves oh my god this is my best painting and then you post it in the critique and you get all this feedback oh this is not my best painting <laughs> so you have to step outside of your head Casey says, I'm working on designing and sewing a costume for Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth. Would this be considered derivative or fan art? Nope. Because Lady Macbeth is a timeless character. Lady Macbeth is not designed the way SpongeBob is designed. I mean, sure, people can make their own version of SpongeBob, but we know SpongeBob looks a certain way. Lady Macbeth is verbally described in a Shakespeare play. And there's no specific thing, oh, she has to be made out of a yellow sponge. I mean, like we don't need those parameters. So anytime you're using a character from literature, from mythology, that's not fan art. Fan art would be if you wanted to draw SpongeBob. That is fan art because that's an established design. Brian is asking, do some African-American artists face some backlash in the art community? Brian, can you clarify if you mean art school community or, or just the larger world? Because we're really focusing on BFA degrees. So clarify that wherever you can. Lena says, absolutely blind towards my work. I'm usually good at giving constructive criticism for others, but I can't see what's wrong in my own stuff. I just know something is off. Yep. <laughs> You guys would not believe, oh my gosh, I mean, it's almost embarrassing for me to admit this, <laughs> but sometimes I'll make a piece and I'll show it to one of my artist friends and I'll say, okay, what do you think? And they point something out and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. How did I not see that? Once they say it to me, it totally makes sense. But in the moment, making that, I did not see that. And 
that's incredibly important to get that almost wake up call about how your work is coming across. Because we have all these ideas about what we want to do. We say, I want this painting to be like this. I want us to talk about this. Now, whether that comes across to an audience is up for debate until you've actually shown it to somebody other than yourself. There's no way to really gauge the success of that piece. And especially for something like illustration, if you're trying to illustrate a painting of Lady Macbeth and we look at it and we have no idea who she is and we say, oh, that's some random woman. That's not good. <laughs> that means you need to go back and work something. Just an imagination says, I often look at my pieces and purely get cringe no matter what, like I could do this better type of moment. Oh my God, you're preaching to the clock. <laughs> I get so, so uptight. But see, that's where another set of eyes is gonna help you. Because sometimes I'll do work and I'm like, oh, this is awful. I hate this thing. And then I show it to somebody else. They go, actually, I think this part's okay. I think it's actually this part that you need. So tell me in the chat, who here has trouble getting feedback? Because if you have an easy time getting feedback, you are absolutely the exception. It is not common for people applying to BFA programs to have easily accessible, trusted feedback, which is why I'm encouraging people about our art school portfolios group, because you're going to have our pro staff in there helping you. And you know, you don't have to stay the whole time. It's monthly. So if you want to just go in and try it a month and then leave, that's fine. You could join for two months. I mean, you could never join. That's fine too. I understand not everybody. It's an option, but I am hoping this is going to help a lot of people because it, it just, <laughs> I feel so bad when I see all of the applicants struggling with all of these things. And one of the reasons I started Art Prof was to help people who are in that situation, who are alone, they live in a remote area, they have never taken an art class before. So I'm really hoping I can fill in the gap for a lot of you. Justin says, I fear asking adults, but I always ask friends about my work who are also designers. Okay, one other thing. <laughs> Your friends and family mean well, they really do, but don't ask them for help in your artwork unless they're a working artist professional because, oh my gosh, so much grief I've seen people go through. Just idiotic comments from friends and family that really discourage a lot of young artists. So listen to it if you want, but you can also just say, okay, thanks. Thanks. <coughs> Excuse me. Evelyn says, one of the things I struggle with is having a balance between doing what I'm interested in and doing what I think will stand up for my portfolio, 3D mixed media. Yeah, we do have a video. It's called how to stand out with your art school portfolio. Just type it into the search into YouTube. Here's the thing. Those are recommendations. If 3D does not interest you at all, nobody says you have to do it because you want to do things that hold some degree of interest. I mean, if you are just kicking and screaming the whole time you're working with your mixed media painting, that's not a good thing. On the other hand, I know a lot of students have never tried it. So if you've never tried mixed media before and you're thinking, eh, I don't really want to try to do it anyway, 
because you know something you might like it and it's fantastic to me it's like food like has anybody here ever eaten something that you hadn't eaten and you're like, oh, i don't want to eat that and then you ate it and it was awesome <laughs> like that happens to me all the time it's like that and, and you know if you try the mixed media and you hate it you have to do it again but the key is to try that's what a lot of students do, don't do they make assumptions oh well that's not going to be fun that's not going to work for me it's like you don't know until you actually tried it Karasu says, I tend to notice all the flaws in my work, compare my drawings to other artists. I also don't understand advice on how I can improve. Well, here's the thing, everybody. There's good advice and there's bad advice. I cannot believe some of the critiques that students have told me that they've gotten. And unfortunately, a lot of it's very vague. People will say things like, you have to make your drawing more dynamic. It's like, okay, how? And so a good critique, somebody will point out something that needs to improve and they will provide for you concrete actions you can do to make it better. So if you're trying to make a gesture drawing of a like, super dynamic pose, they might say to you, you need to exaggerate the proportions more. That's actionable. If I just say, make it dynamic, that's really not helpful. Brian is asking, do you think artists will criticize other artists because they're jealous? Oh yeah, that happened to me all the time. Sometimes I'd be in a group critique and <laughs> I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I, I sort of hit it out of the park and I'd get this great critique from the professor and people definitely held that against me. I think that's inevitable. I don't know that there's anything anybody can do about it. I mean, I feel like that's the reaction that I would have in that situation as well. So I understand, but the important thing is to find people who are gonna be supportive, stay away from those toxic people. They're everywhere. Kyle is asking advice for applying for a dual major. I'm looking to apply in studio arts and film or photography. I'm a little unsure on how to split up my portfolio into sections. Okay, in your portfolio, you can certainly include film, photography, but don't try to make your portfolio look like a photo portfolio. You want diversity, absolutely, as much as you can pack in. Sometimes I'll look at portfolios. Let's say somebody has three gouache paintings and it's very common that those three gouache paintings look just like each other. The same color scheme, similar image. To me, that's wasting one of the pieces in the portfolio because those three images are basically the same thing. And instead of having those three, you could have three that are different because that's what you're trying to show. People always say, why do art schools want you to have it all figured out? Isn't that why I'm going to art school? They don't want you to have it figured out, but they do want to see that you have a willingness to try different things, that you're not learning one technique and just doing it over and over again. And the way to demonstrate that willingness is to have diverse topics. Karasu's asking, would concept art for an animated adaptation of a book series I like to be fan art? It's never had a visual adaptation. Animated adaptation of a book series. Here's what I would say avoid fan art at all costs. Hey, trust me, I, I am the biggest fan of fan art now. Everybody see this painting? <laughs> this is my first fan art. 
I mean, yeah, part of it is that I have this absurd crush on debate who's in here and I learned so much and there is so much to be learned from fan art, but you know what? Your art school portfolio is not it. That is not the place because they just automatically it's, it's out of there. Once they see that it's, it's just this blemish on your portfolio. I'm not trying to say that's right or that's what they should do, but I do see people doing a lot of pushback on that. I'm like, you guys just don't do it. Okay. There's so many other things you can do. Fan art is fun. It's great, but it is not for your art school portfolio. Casey says, I feel like I can never tell what exactly is wrong with the figure's anatomy in my drawing until a month or two after I finished it. Anatomy is very hard, Casey. It is not an easy topic to learn. And it took me years of training. And I was lucky that I had that training. I had the feedback. I had live models posing for hours and hours on end. And even then it was difficult. <laughs> Here's the other thing too. Just because the anatomy is correct doesn't mean it's a good drawing. In fact, I talked to this one person at Life Drawing and he had asked me for help on his figure drawing. And before I gave him help, I said, well, what are you trying to do? Do you have any goals? And he said to me, I want it to be accurate. And I, I didn't want to launch into a whole thing, but guess what? The drawings that I really love are often not accurate. And if you ask me, oh, what is your goal? You're working on this figure drawing. I'm not going to tell you accurate because number one, I don't like doing that. <laughs> number two, it's not really that interesting. Why do you think people like character design? If character design was accurate characters, it would just be the most boring thing on the planet. That's okay, Karsu, to say sorry. It's hard to receive critique. Who here, tell me in the chat, finds it hard to receive critique. And if you're saying it's easy peasy, you're lying. <laughs> Guess what? I have been in this field for decades and I still get frustrated by critiques. Lauren told me the same thing. She said, people will say something to her. Oh, work on this. And she said <laughs> her first impulse is to get very defensive and say, well, I already did that. But I did that. <laughs> it's like I do the same thing where somebody points something out. And I'm like, but. And then later I go, oh, yeah, dog Clara, that's really stupid. So it is not uncommon to have that almost sting that you feel when somebody critiques your work. But that's why what I like about the portfolio group, it's not just you getting critiqued. It's other people. And some students will say to me, you know what? I learn more when I hear someone else's critique. Because when you're getting a critique, it, it's almost like too close. And so it's harder to hear the critique. But if you are hearing someone else's critique, you can just focus on the elements. You can just think about composition. You don't have to be so attached because it's separate from you. It's somebody else's artwork. So I would highly recommend if you can get feedback in a group setting, that is by far the easiest way. When, when you're having to go off on your own every time to ask, it's, it's a chore. It's difficult to do, especially if you don't have people surrounding you all the time. Karasu's asking about our portfolio critique. So we do have art prof services. 
we have artist calls and we have personal art curriculums, statement editing, and portfolio critiques. So we have various rates. It depends on which staff. It depends on how quickly you want the critique. We have an option. You can get a 24-hour critique for me if you want. Obviously, the fee for that is higher. You can get one in 10 business days, get one in two business days. So if you guys go down to the YouTube video description below, you will find there's all these links and it says Art Prof Services and click on that. And that will give you all of the rates for those portfolio critiques. ASMR Ronald says, what's your advice for ordering the images in your portfolio? Great question. I think it's important to mix it up so that you don't have similar types of things all in a row. Let's say you have three acrylic paintings. Let's say you have a graphic design piece and you have a sculpture, okay? Don't put all three paintings in a row. Do one painting, sculpture, one painting, graphic design, one painting. That makes it easier because you have to think about this from the point of view of the admissions officer. That is the biggest mistake that a lot of people do. They just think about it from the applicant point of view. Just picture this, everybody, okay? And tell me in the chat, have you thought about what it's like being an admissions officer? Probably not, most people have not. You're an admissions officer and they give you just a stack of applications to go through. And I'm sorry to tell you guys, but you know how long they look at each image? I'm gonna show you and you're gonna be horrified. So if I'm reviewing this image, let's say it's on my phone, I'll do this. Sometimes it's that fast. <laughs> It's terrible. I know. I know that hurts to see that. Somebody will just, but you know something, an admissions officer, just think about how many images they're looking at. They're looking at thousands of applications. Every application has, I don't know, 15 images. You can't spend forever. You'll go crazy doing that. And so if I'm an admissions officer and I'm going through someone's portfolio and it starts to look very similar, I tune out. If I'm going through a portfolio and every piece is something very different than the last, I'm going to pay attention more. Think about that because I know how important our work is to us. We're so passionate about what we do. We wouldn't be applying if we weren't, but we cannot make the mistake that the admissions officers are staring at each piece for five minutes. They cannot do that. And so that's why I tell people, listen, if you're going to write a statement, you know how in slide room, you can add a little text caption. I know people who write three paragraphs for that text caption, and that's a mistake. Who's going to read that? Nobody has time to read that. Same thing with films. Let's say you have an animation that you have in your portfolio, and it's 10 minutes long. They're not going to watch the whole thing. They're going to skim. Now, if the video is 30 seconds, they will watch the whole thing. And so you have to just pretend to be an admissions officer for two minutes. And you'll see very quickly why a lot of those things aren't worth sinking your time into. Casey says, I was having a portfolio review with a school, the Art Institute of Chicago admissions officer. She straight up asked whether or not I actually want to do 3D 
or just thought I should, they definitely noticed this stuff. Oh yeah. Out of all the portfolios I've reviewed over the years, the proportion of 2D work to 3D work, it's like 99.95 is 2D. So when you see a 3D piece, you notice because not a lot of people have it. And most people, if they have 3D, have it and it's not that great. So if you make a really good 3D piece or you have two 3D pieces, that really stands out. The other thing too that I tell people to do is think about what everybody else is gonna do. Guess what? Most people are now learning to draw digitally before they learn traditionally. I would probably guess that the vast majority of high school students are doing a lot of digital. So if you do a digital painting, that's really, I'm sorry to say this, but it's dime a dozen. If you have a terracotta skull and this is in your portfolio, this stands out. If you're seeing hundreds of digital paintings and you see this, that's when people notice. So a big part of it is just being aware of what everyone else is going to do and not doing it. Because the other thing I see all the time, and my teenagers have noticed this too. I know my kids are getting old. They're John Z. They tell me that so many kids, they're walking around the school and everybody has a hyper-realistic graphite drawing of an eye. That's not new. And that's the type of thing you want to try to avoid. Clementine says, one thing I never understood is how to stand out and show the extent of your abilities in different mediums or the like, but still keeping it cohesive. It does not have to be cohesive, Clementine. I do not encourage a cohesive portfolio. You can't. <laughs> no, Nobody can do that. I mean, the second you try to do the more unusual things and show your extent of your abilities in different types of things, that's good. That's what you want. So this idea of a cohesive portfolio is off. Don't do that. That's only limiting what you could possibly be putting into your portfolio. Evelyn says, sometimes I'm afraid to ask for critique because I might have to end up redoing the art or making major changes. Okay, this is what you do, Evelyn. You ask for critique early. I recently did a stream on thumbnail sketches. Actually, I can show you all some of my thumbnail sketches. If you ask for critique, when the painting's done. Like, let's say I have this painting and I finished it, I spent a lot of time on it, and then I asked for critique. It's hard for me to make changes, really hard, because I spent all this time on it. Now, instead, if I show all of you, see these thumbnail sketches? These, ah, hang on, see this? I can tell you what to fix here. I can look at this and say, oh, I don't think the placement of the figures is very good. Now, if you need to change it, easy. I haven't started the final painting yet. This is a quick sketch that probably took me, I don't know, eight minutes or so. And so that's what I was saying about feedback. Don't wait, get the feedback early. Having to redo it stinks. Nobody wants to do that. But when I work with students, I say, I want to see the thumbnails. 
I want you to test out some materials. And so these almost stopping points to stop and reevaluate and say, do I really want to do that? Because the thumbnails I just showed you for a huge painting, I would have died <laughs> if I had to restart it, which is why I really did the homework in terms of the prep work. So I understand that fear, but really that's why I tell people asking for critique on the final piece. Of course you want that, but ideally it's much better to get feedback early. Lena says, if the critique comes from a right place, it's always welcome. You want to find people you trust, <laughs> who you're comfortable. I mean, some people are not, number one, not good at critiquing. And number two, not very nice about it. And it's a tricky balance because as an instructor, I want to be encouraging to students, but I also want to be critical and demand more of them, push them to do what they want to do. Clementine says, every time I receive a critique, I wonder if the other person thinks I'm not listening because I don't know what to say other than thanks or got it. Guess what? <laughs> this is good news for you, Clementine. When I'm giving someone a critique, I, I'm not thinking about the other person. <laughs> I mean, I am. I'm just saying I'm not thinking about what you're doing in the moment. I'm just giving you the critique. I'm not looking at you thinking, is Clementine really listening? I, I can't do that. <laughs> it's too much work for me to do. And so I understand, I mean, you all are absolutely correct to have all of these concerns, but take the leap and perhaps some of you will be comfortable enough at some point, for example, just join the public discord. You don't have to jump into anything too soon, but the public discord is nice because people can lurk. And I know a lot of people do that and I encourage them. I say, listen, if it's intimidating, don't type right away. Read the conversation, see what people are saying. And then when you feel comfortable, you can jump in. But I'll tell you, our Discord is heavily moderated. And anybody who's a jerk, we boot them so fast. <laughs> so this is, I'm proud that this is a very safe space. It is not a place where people are going to be really terrible to you, unless you are terrible to us. So I'm curious, out of the people in the chat right now, if you are in the Discord, Perhaps, and I hope you have a positive experience, perhaps you can assure some of the people that, yes, we don't bite. And it is a very kind, supporting community. Karasu asks, sci-fi and fantasy art that's completely original characters and designs okay. It's a field I'm especially interested in entering. Oh, yeah. The thing I would do, though, Karasu, is don't do the fantasy art cliche. Because I know dragons are part of fantasy, but if you do something that's not a dragon, you're already ahead <laughs> in terms of sticking out. So it's about finding, oh, what is that cliche? What is the sci-fi cliche? Can I do something that's very different? Oh, Ginger, professor said my painting looked Disney. It was horrible. I was so upset. See, how is that helpful, Ginger? How, th that does not help you. In fact, sometimes I would be frustrated with students in critiques because a very common thing is people would look at somebody's drawing and then say, oh, that looks like Star Wars. And people would go, oh, cool. And I would actually say to them, you know, that's not a compliment because guess what? Now the person looking at your painting is thinking about Star Wars and they're not thinking about your painting. And so that's not always a compliment when people say, it looks like Disney. In your case, it was not. 
But that's what I mean by comments that are not helpful. You can't do anything about that. Casey says, it constantly throws me for a loop when I get constructive feedback. I'm so used to just sort of vague compliments. I tend to get defensive because I don't expect it. Yeah, well, if you're not in art school and getting critiques every day, of course it feels like you need to get defensive. I totally understand that. I get defensive where I'm like, no, nah, I did. It's okay. What? How come you guys didn't get this? And then later on, it's like the cloud goes away. And I go, you're so dumb, Clara. Just come on, separate yourself from your artwork, which is hard. It's not something everybody can do. Yeah, just an imagination. Get frustrated whenever I get a critique. I think that is because of how I am majorly self-critical of myself. It is good to be self-critical, but not to the degree that it paralyzes you. There's a time and a place for critique. Sometimes the critique is too much, or sometimes it's given at a time when it's not that helpful. Like sometimes what students will say to me is, okay, I have this idea. I want to draw this. I want to do this. And they'll say to me, well, what if I do this? And I say, I cannot help you until I see something on paper, because you can think in your head all day about what you want to do. I can't do anything with that as the critic. So it's fine to be self-critical, but at a certain point, you have to find a way to turn it off. I mean, for me, I listen to podcasts. Sometimes I listen to a movie I've watched 8,000 times that sort of takes my mind off of it a little bit because I don't know if anybody else has this problem, but I ruminate so much. It's so bad. And honestly, a lot of the things that I do in my studio practice are there. So I don't think so much because once I let my brain start running, it's so bad. I can't even work. <laughs> Kyle says, when I went to Portfolio Day last year, I got confused about a lot of the terminology and concepts that the admissions officer were using while critiquing my work. Okay, so Kyle, it is now your job to find out. What are those things? I don't know if you have the ability to write some of those down, if you even remember some of them. But another mistake I see with portfolios is people think it's just about, okay, I sit down, I make the work. It's not. There's a learning period. If you know nothing about color theory, you do need to learn something about that. And guess what? Learning something about that does not involve pumping out a masterpiece. <laughs> it, it requires a lot of practice. Doing different things, learning some paint mixing techniques, that is not gonna happen on the final painting. It's gonna be on a warm-up piece or something like that. And so anything you hear that you're like, I don't know what that is, find out. And guess what? We probably know. <laughs> I know I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but we're pretty good. <laughs> we know what's going on with a lot of that terminology. I've been through it 10,000 times. Harrison says, I don't really understand what I can do differently after the feedback. Change something in your approach. I mean, ideally, the person that's critiquing your work is going to tell you what to do differently. But I can tell you that just doing this same thing you've always done usually is not a way to grow. The way you grow is to try things that you don't know anything about. And that can be incredibly helpful. And Mick M says, what's your advice on less adding expressive portraits, but rather portraits that try to capture the likeness and subject in your portfolio? This is a 
big deep question because <laughs> I love porches and I spend way too much time thinking about them. But think about this. People are much more than how they physically look. If you think about, look up the National Portrait Gallery. It's in the U.S. The whole gallery, it's a museum, is all portraits. And a lot of the people are very well known. You could say, okay, we have this portrait of Barack Obama. This is what Obama looks like. But he's more <laughs> than a likeness. And honestly, a lot of the portraits I like the most are the ones that dig into who that person is. If you look up Kehinde Wiley, I'll post this in here, Kehinde Wiley portraits. Kehinde Wiley did the Obama portrait, the one where he's sitting in a chair and there's all this foliage behind him. In that Obama portrait, the foliage is symbolic of Obama's heritage. Those aren't just random flowers that they put there. To me, those are much more interesting portraits because they're about who that person is, what they did. It is not just, oh, this person had long black hair. <laughs> like that's really not that interesting. And that's why oftentimes I see people, they're doing portraits. And ultimately, if it's just about likeness, it turns into, oh, random person I grew, which is not that exciting. Casey says, I heard from another admissions officer that it's better to group similar images together in a way that flows and isn't jarring. Would it depend on the school? I disagree. I mean, don't you have to listen to me, Casey. You should make your own decision, but I'll tell you why I think that's not a bad thing. Jarring. I, that, that makes it sound like you're being slapped in the face. <laughs> like jarring, I associate that word with something very like, oh my God, like really scared. Not a good experience. But the reason I was saying to break it up and not put those three similar images in a row is that it keeps us interested. Here's an idea. Okay, everybody see me right now? Does everybody notice how I do this and how I do this? That's a change of pace. Now, if I stayed here the entire video, it's not as attention grabbing. If you just see the same thing over and over again, you just tune out. But the second I do this, it's not a big change, but it's a minor visual change that if somebody's like really watching, will notice. And good videos do that. They change the music, they change the point of view. This is a similar thing. That's how you keep people engaged, is to give them something a little bit different instead of the same thing all the way through. But again, Everything I say suggestion, guys totally don't have to listen to me at all. <laughs> Clementine says, I feel like the other thing is just asking the person giving the critique what they mean or what they think you could do to improve because the critique's for your benefit at the end of the day. Absolutely. A critique is a conversation. And I know sometimes when I critique artwork, people are very surprised that I ask them all kinds of questions. I say, what were you thinking here? What was your intent here? If I critique artwork, without the person present, I totally can, that's fine. But the most impactful critiques are the ones where I can have a conversation with somebody. And sometimes that's just me being in the Discord channel and typing to people there. But sometimes it's in the Patreon group where I'm giving a critique on voice. And those are the easiest critiques 
I think they're the most efficient. I think they get the point across. Of course, the, the text typed critiques are helpful too, but the ones on voice, I think, are the best, not just for the person, but for me too. I know I'm way more articulate when I'm speaking than when I'm writing. Claire says, do you have advice for someone who needs more observational drawings, but doesn't have access to a figure drawing class? Do you have pets? Totally the way to go. If you don't have pets, there are so many places where people sit still and don't do anything. And you know what it is? One of them is video games. <laughs> I actually was hanging out a while back with my nephew and he was so funny. He just got out of bed and he had a blanket all around him and he had headphones on and he was playing a video game. He barely moved. It was, it was fantastic. I was like, wow, this is great. And actually people do that too when they're on their phone, they don't move very much. The other thing you can try is animals. You can go to the zoo. You can even go to the park. There's probably dogs there. If you have a friend that has a pet, that's terrific. So you don't have to draw from a nude model to have life drawing experience. And to be honest, usually the reason why people don't draw from life is they're making excuses. Drawing from life is not difficult. It really is not. But a lot of people have it in their head that it's too much work. It's not. And guess what? That is the way to train yourself as an artist. Cow Phoebe says, my work contains a lot of cultural specific content. So my tutor suggests writing about it directly on the slide. So I get more space to explain it. Should I do this? That's terrible advice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to the point quickly for all of you. I don't really like to beat around the bush. Again, if I am an admissions officer and I'm looking, let me show you again. This is how long I'm looking. I'm not going to do that. And you know, something else, Cow, is that if you need to write and explain the whole thing for people to get it, that's not a good artwork. There's conflicting ideas about this, obviously, because you'll go to the museum and there's like a little plaque on the wall and everything. But if your work is, as we said earlier about Lady Macbeth, and we look at it, we have no idea, and we have to read something that tells us, hey, this is Lady Macbeth, that's not good. The other thing is that clutters the slide. Because if you have a slide and you have the artwork and you have this whole wall of text, guess what? I'm not looking at the artwork. I'm going, oh, all this text. Simple, clean, one image. And if you're worried about those cultural specific pieces of content that maybe aren't coming across, to me, that says that you need to brainstorm more. You need to do more sketches. You need to think about ways to convey that because as artists, we cannot rely on written statements to explain what we're not showing in the artwork. Lena says, my first year of college, I was told that my art is cutesy. It's been over 10 years. I'm a graphic designer. I still think about that comment, constantly trying to break out of cutesy. Ugh. It's some words are so frustrating when people say things like that. One thing that I really hate is when people say your work is derivative. It's like, of course, I mean, sometimes people use it instead of using the word copy because derivative is more intelligent. It has more syllables <laughs> or something like that. But those are critiques that are not helpful. It's more like that critique is a judgment. 
it's not somebody actively interested in your progress. And that's the problem is you need to have people looking at it that really want you to succeed. I mean, the world is not a nice place sometimes. There are all kinds of people who don't want us to succeed or don't care. And that's why I think our group could be a good substitute for that. Yeah, Evelyn, that's a great choice. Local library, people are sitting down, they're reading. We do have a video where I go to a cafe and sketch somebody. It's tougher there because <laughs> you, you need to have a strategy. Like I do certain things to make sure I don't creep anybody out. Or I know a lot of people sketch at the airport because people are just stuck. <laughs> They're just sitting there. And so actually I've gotten a lot of life drawing practice at the airport. It's pretty funny. Yep. People at the beach are half naked anyway, and they're just lying there trying to get their suntan. And statues at the museum are good to practice, but I would just be careful with those images because they do come across as art class projects. And they're not great for life drawing because they won't get you to think about your topic as a living, breathing being because the statues aren't going anywhere. And I really think that does change your perception and how you approach that. Lena says, how do you deal with the sun and wind at the beach? You bring clips. <laughs> That's what I always do. And when I work plain air, I work small. I don't bring gigantic things. I don't even bring an easel with me because it's too much of a pain. But we do have a lot of videos where I travel and paint on site. So some of you can look that up. Yeah. Clementine says, draw my dad while he watched TV because he barely moves. Sometimes people take naps. I mean, my spouse takes naps all the time. Like I totally could draw him anytime. And there's a lot of ways to get into that. Yeah, you have to do it, Claire, in a very specific manner. I sit far away enough that they usually can't see me. And I, I try to pick somebody who's like really into their laptop. And so if you just sit there and you observe, there are some people who casually look at their phone, but I drew this one guy at the cafe. He was like in his laptop. I mean, he wasn't looking at anything. And I sat further away. And when I draw people, I don't stare at them. Like I'll sketch a little, I'll glance at them more occasionally, like in a life drawing class, I'll do that, but I can't do that in public. Oh yeah, totally, Evelyn. That's the other thing is people always think that a nude model is the best, but guess what? When I went to art school, I spent so many hours drawing nude people that afterwards I was doing some portrait commissions. I was like, oh my God, I don't know how to paint clothes. <laughs> like I don't know how to paint patterns or textures. And it's just a great way to learn about how to draw. Yeah, Brazen Spirituality says, not necessarily for the portfolio, but you can move around it and find the view and the lighting you like best and draw a lot. So there are a lot of things you may do for your portfolio that don't go into your portfolio. That's a mistake that people think everything they make goes in the portfolio. No, I mean, I tell people, if you need 20 pieces, you're not going to make 20. You're probably, I hope <laughs> you're going to make 30 or so and pick the best 20 out of that. A409 says, I hear you saying portfolios often lack physical 3D media, but what about 3D CG? Would it be a good idea to add both? 
you can add whatever you want. I mean, you can do 3D CG, but I can tell you between the two, your average student in high school who's making art is much more likely to do digital media. And so you can do 3D CG, obviously, but it's not going to stand out the way that a 3D sculpture is going to stand out. And I really think, I'm sorry, at the risk of sounding like a horrible old fart, I just think not, an, not enough students are using traditional media. And I've heard all the reasons why, and I think digital media is phenomenal, but sometimes I think it's done to the extent that it severely limits people in terms of the skills that they're developing. I know a lot of people like digital painting because of the layers, because you can do undo, but guess what? There is value and not being able to erase something. I had that my freshman class at RISD, I had them draw with crayon the first three weeks and it drove some of them crazy that they couldn't erase it. But guess what? They had to find other solutions. And so having every single tool available to you all the time is not always a good thing. Sometimes it makes it so that you fall into patterns and aren't trying new things. Space Marine says, you have to be best friends with someone important. You have to be somebody's kid to get into a good art school. They don't care about talent, just connections. I don't think that's true. I think certainly there's a whole tradition of legacy admissions. That's in all of academia. It depends on the school. I know that there are some schools recently that are ending legacy admissions. Some of them are not. But the people that go to art school, most of them are not in there because of the connection or somebody's kid. I don't think that's true. Yeah, just because it happens, though, doesn't mean it always happens. I mean, that's everywhere. The whole world is nepotism and people getting things because they have connections. Everybody talks about nepo babies in Hollywood. That's not new. But I think given that you are sending an application, that that is making it more accessible to some people. Clementine's asking, what's the line with including time drawing study sketches? I feel like it's beneficial to include works in progress so they can see how you work, but it feels iffy putting unpolished work. Okay, you certainly can put in gesture drawings. I think it's a good idea because I reviewed a portfolio, I think it was about three weeks ago, somebody who had super detailed graphite drawings. I, I mean, they must have taken him 50 hours. It was so detailed. But I said to him, listen, you've got five drawings in the portfolio. They're all like that. You haven't shown me that you can do a gesture drawing. And so I think those are good to include. What you could do to, I guess, save space on the slide. If you have one horizontal slide, you could have, say, five standing figures in a row on a single slide. So they're not just seeing one gesture drawing, they're seeing a bunch, four, five, three, something like that. The other thing I encourage people to do is to add a spread from your sketchbook. Assuming that your sketchbook is about ideation, that it's not just, oh, <laughs> this is my sketchbook. I'm not kidding you guys. This is my sketchbook. Like, like, this is not good. This is me messing around, okay? It is not showing ideation. Now, what does show ideation is things like thumbnail sketches. 
this is ideation. This is me figuring out a color scheme. This is me thinking about what's happening in the composition. So in that spread, you are seeing my brain working. That's the type of sketchbook spread you want. If it's a sketchbook spread and it's just a nice random portrait, I probably have something like that in here. I mean, I don't think this is good, but this is just a random, it's Aaron Schmidt, of course. <laughs> this is not helping people see your ideation. It's just a portrait. So as long as it shows your brainstorming, your thumbnail sketches, you developing an idea, that's really the way to go. JC says, I struggle with lack of concepts, ideas and directions to go in for works in my portfolio. Can you say anything that could help me with this brainstorming? That's what you need because, and tell me in the chat, it's fine, it's confession time. <laughs> How many people here do brainstorming before you make a piece. And I don't mean just you thought about it and drew a couple sketches. I mean, deep brainstorming where you're researching, you are creating mind maps, you're doing mood boards. Brainstorming is a separate skill. It doesn't have anything to do with painting in a lot of ways. And the other thing I would say JC too, is we have a huge list of prompts on artprof.org. So if anybody here is needing ideas or prompts, go to that list. I believe it is under, if you go to the main menu, it's under learn and create. And I think there's an entry that says prompts list. So just click on that or just type prompts into the search bar. But a lot of the reason people have trouble coming up with ideas is because they don't have brainstorming skills. We have a brainstorming track and in that track, we have structured brainstorming exercises that will help you build those brainstorming muscles. So just type that into artprof.org, it'll pop up because most people do not have brainstorming experience or if they do, it's very minimal. Casey says, I actually find myself liking not erasable materials better. I sketch in pen a lot because it makes me commit to every line. That's why I like markers because sometimes you have an eraser, you end up second guessing everything. And it's like, ah, oh, this is really stressful. <laughs> but if I have a marker and I put it down, it's like, that's it. I, I can't <laughs> like really go back or question that. And I think in a lot of ways we benefit from that. It makes us bolder. It makes us more confident and that's really helpful. Merp says brainstorming sometimes. I will go on Pinterest, draw whatever I see first. Other days I will work on an idea for months and be scared to work with it. In that case, then I would shorten that time period. Just tell yourself, I only have two weeks and I'm going to brainstorm because brainstorming is a tough skill. It's not easy. But you know something? When somebody's really thought through an idea for a painting, you can tell it's very, very clear. And Pinterest is very helpful. I know a lot of people use it for image references and things like that. But I will tell you, you can quickly fall into that Pinterest trap because my problem with Pinterest is that it's very homogenous. If you compare it to the world, it's like, yeah, there are more people in the planet that aren't thin and white. You know, I mean, it's like, that's, I feel like what I mostly see people who have Photoshop faces and are wearing lots of makeup. I mean, even I was trying to look for images of older people on Pinterest 
and all the pictures that popped up were older women just caked in makeup. And I was like, I want images of women who aren't wearing makeup. So Pinterest is helpful, but it is very limited in terms of what it can provide. Yeah, do the mood boards. That is research. That is you gathering images and ideas. That is just as important as some of all of these other skills. They're very, very important to have. All right, everybody. I want to say a big thank you to our top Patreon supporters who have made it possible for us to be here helping you all with your applications. Art Prof has a podcast is available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And subscribe to our channel for more art tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time. Bye.